Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. And we are certainly moving along through the summer. Boy, the summers always go too swiftly, I think. Uh, that's certainly the sentiment whenever you live in uh, climates like the Midwest and so on, where we have very tough winters. All the seasons are beautiful for me in their own way, but winters can be tough on us. And there's, there's so much fun, so much freedom that you sense during the summertime. So we're moving through the summertime. It's part of what we call the ordinary time in the West. They call it that in the liturgical calendar. In the East, as we've said before, it is the Sundays after Pentecost. That's how we mark what the West would call ordinary time. But as I always mention, it's never truly ordinary in the life of the church. And what is so-called ordinary time does get punctuated by special extraordinary events, different types of feast days. But summertime is also time, just like spring and early fall. Any time is good for marriages, but most of the time marriages occur in the spring, the summer, and the fall. And oftentimes I'm asked about marriage and weddings in the Byzantine rite, the Byzantine ritual of marriage. And many times I'm asked, well, what does the Byzantine church have to say about, for instance, you know, a lot of the man-woman relationships, the place of the man and the woman in the home. That's a big issue today, especially in the secular world, largely because of what the secular world has to say on that, which oftentimes presses in on, on the church even though it shouldn't, and it raises questions. So let's look at the marriage ritual of the Byzantine church, a little bit of history of that ritual. There was a time in the Byzantine Empire centuries ago when marriages were turned over completely to the church, although the church married everybody. That's what the, the state demanded, the government at the time, the, the emperor. And so the Byzantine church, the church itself, had a bit of a challenge because it didn't want to marry people who weren't believers or even mixed marriages, a believer and non-believer. 
And yet the state, the emperor, turned all marriages over to the church. So the church had to come up with some way to marry people, yet at the same time not compromise the integrity of the sacrament and the integrity of how the church sees that sacrament of marriage. Well, for one thing, in the Eastern churches, we call the sacrament of marriage, like we call all sacraments, a mystery. We call them the mysteries. It means the same as sacrament, but we use that word mystery in the East. And the word mystery means, such as the word mystical, those words are related. It means that which is revealed and known and that which remains hidden all at the same time. And we kind of live in the intersection of the two. So that's certainly what sacraments are. They're mysteries. They're intersections. We, we live in the intersection of where heaven and earth meet, where the invisible and the invisible world meet. That's the beauty of the sacraments and of the churches that are based in the sacramental spirituality, such as the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox churches, and of course, the Eastern Catholic churches as well. So the church had to come up with a form of marriage that would satisfy what the state was asking of it, at the same time not compromise its integrity. Well, what it came up with is one of the crowning moments, and I use that word purposely as a pun, (laughs) one of the crowning moments of the Byzantine marriage ritual in which we actually use crowns. A couple is crowned in marriage, and one of the reasons for that, why that developed, was it was a way of giving some kind of ritual acknowledgement to this marriage, even though the marriage wasn't necessary among people of faith, or both were not people of faith, but yet it was still a way of making that marriage official, as the emperor wanted the church to do. What really makes a marriage official, so to speak, what makes it really sealed, what brings a couple together, is of course the body and blood of Christ. In other words, sealing anything in the Eucharist. This is why Eucharist often follows most of the other sacraments because that brings that action, that sacramental action, that grace to a certain perfection, a certain completion in Christ. So the real union of the two happens in Christ. Well, if two people couldn't necessarily receive Eucharist, there had to be some other way to unite them. And that way was through these crowns. They actually put the crowns on the head of the couple, but the crowns eventually develop a number of symbolisms. First of all, the crowns were a symbol of the husband and wife entering into and forming a new kingdom together, king and queen of a new kingdom, new creation, something like Adam and Eve as they were king and queen of paradise, of creation. And of course, it's reminiscent of the kingdom of heaven. So this idea of kingliness, of royalty, is very strong in the ritual in the liturgy of the Byzantine church. We even begin our liturgy by the priest raising the gospel book and proclaiming, blessed is the kingdom of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We paint Christ oftentimes in a kingly way. We wear robes and vestments and bishops wear crowns. So we have a strong sense of royalty in the ritual and the prayer of the Eastern churches. And again, because this is a participation in the royalty of heaven, in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. In the ritual in which we use the crowns, the symbolism, in addition to being that of a king and queen, so therefore they're crowned, it also has a symbol of martyrdom to it. We often speak of martyrs as receiving the crown of martyrdom. And in fact, during the wedding ceremony, the couple, after being crowned, is actually led on a beautiful little walk together. They're led by the priest. 
and the maid of honor and the best man follow behind, respectively, the bride and the groom. They do so mostly to make sure the crowns stay on the bride and groom as they go on this walk. And this walk occurs usually three times around a little table in the middle of the church where the ceremony takes place in the Byzantine church. And it symbolizes the couple's first walk together. It's the first time they walk together as husband and wife. And they're walking into the life of the Trinity, which is why they are led by the priest and they walk around three times, symbolic of the Trinity. So their relationship is being entered into something. In the Western ritual of marriage, the Western theology of marriage, there's a strong emphasis on the couple making a covenant between the two of them that the church witnesses. And that aspect is present in the Eastern theology, but it's not so much the emphasis. The emphasis has more to do, as it always does in Eastern theology, with an entering into, a participation in something, an immersion in something. So the life of the husband and wife that begins now as husband and wife is immersed or entered into. They literally walk into the life of the Trinity. So they're taking that relationship that had a certain character prior to the service and it's actually now changing. It's actually taking on a new character. They're going to take that relationship and enter it into the very life of the Trinity. And that is done through the ritual of the crowning and the procession. We sometimes call it the dance of Isaiah. One of the reasons is, is because the hymns that we sing during that moment say this, O Lord, O Lord, look down from heaven and see and visit this vineyard and perfect this vine which your right hand has planted. O holy martyrs, you have suffered courageously. Receive your reward. Pray to the Lord our God to have mercy on our souls. And then this verse. Rejoice, O Isaiah. The virgin was with child and bore a son, Emmanuel. He is God and man. Orient is his name. By extolling him, we also praise the virgin. Then after that walk together, the priest then removes the crowns by saying this. Be exalted, O bridegroom, as Abraham, and be blessed as Isaac, and multiply like Jacob, walking in peace and keeping the commandments of God in righteousness. Then he goes to the bride and removes her crown. And you, O bride, may you be exalted as Sarah, be happy as Rebekah, and multiply like Rachel, rejoicing your husband and observing the prescriptions of the law, for such is the will of God." Now, prior to the wedding ceremony itself, there's an interesting custom in the Byzantine church and a number of Eastern churches. It goes all the way back to the time of the Old Testament. It's actually a betrothal ceremony. It's something like a little wedding. In fact, it's sometimes called the ceremony of the rings because that's when there was really the actual or official original exchange of rings between the couple. And the betrothal ceremony, or sometimes called engagement ceremony, is rather serious business in the Byzantine ritual. It's a way of binding that couple, even though they're not totally married yet. And that ritual can come, this ritual of engagement or betrothal, can come at any time prior to the wedding. And during that time, the priest says this during the ritual, O eternal God, you have united those who were alone and instituted an indissoluble bond of love and marriage for them. You blessed Isaac and Rebekah and made them heirs to your promise. Now bless these, your servants, directing them in every good deed. For you are a merciful God who loves mankind. We give glory to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever and forever. Amen. And then the priest also prays this. O Lord our God, 
who espoused the church, a pure virgin from among the Gentile nations, bless this engagement and unite and keep these your servants in peace and oneness of mind. For to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is due all glory, honor, and worship, now and ever and forever. And the priest actually takes the ring and says, the servant of God, for instance, the husband, is engaged to the servant of God, you know, the bride or the bride-to-be, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And it is the same thing then for the bride. The servant of God, bride, is engaged to the servant of God, the groom, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so he also blesses the rings at that point. Now, they can also have the blessing of the rings during the wedding ceremony itself. In fact, the blessing of rings and exchange of rings that happens in the actual marriage ritual is really a transferring of what was the original ceremony of the rings at the betrothal service. That's why it's oftentimes, as I mentioned, called the ritual of the rings or the exchange of rings. We're going to talk more about the Byzantine wedding ceremony when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. are listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host, and we're talking about the Byzantine wedding ceremony because there's lots of weddings during the warm months, the nice months of the year, spring, summer, and fall. Before we go any further with the marriage ritual, I just want to mention a couple of events coming up. One is our annual Prairie Fest event at my 
Church, and this runs Friday to Sunday, August 7th to the 9th. It's really just a wonderful time of nonstop music, some of the best bands around. We even have polka all day on Sunday. We have some ethnic dancers. A Polish Highlanders dance troupe is going to perform, and also the Czechoslovak Moravian Cultural Society dance troupe will perform. So we'll have ethnic food, but also American food, lots of children's games, raffles, and so on. That is, once again, Friday to Sunday, August 7th to the 9th, our Prairie Fest at our parish of Annunciation of Homer Glen. You can find out more about it by going to our website, byzantinecatholic.com, byzantinecatholic.com. And another event, go with me and our good friend Jeff Gardner to the Holy Lands, encountering Christ and the persecuted Christians of Iraq. A Holy Land pilgrimage with optional extension to the country of Jordan to meet some of these refugee Christians. Now that's going to go on Tuesday to Thursday, October 18th to the 28th, 2015. October 18th to the 28th, go to the Holy Lands with me and Jeff Gardner. Jeff, by the way, is part of what's called Picture Christians Project. He's doing a lot of great work there, raising consciousness about the plight of persecuted Christians. So to find out more about all this, go to this website, selectinternationaltours.com, selectinternationaltours.com. So a couple of great events coming up, one this summer and one during the fall. But as I mentioned, lots of weddings during the summer and early fall too. That seems to be a popular time to be married. It's a nice time to be married, September, October. But during the wedding ceremony, the Byzantine Church, we'll get back to that, as the couple enters the church for the beginning of the ceremony, now they've had the betrothal ceremony either prior to the wedding ceremony or some days prior, even some weeks prior. That's the engagement ceremony, the exchange of rings that we talked about. As they enter the church for the actual wedding ceremony, the bride and groom walk down the aisle together, led by the priest. I know it's a very common, a very popular custom for the father to give the bride away. This is not part of the Byzantine ritual. However, for any of you brides listening that might be considering marriage in the Byzantine church, don't, don't get too upset right now. I know it's kind of a sensitive issue <laughs> because there's pastoral ways in which most Byzantine pastors work that out. So basically, just so you know, it's not technically part of our ritual, but we do make certain compromises because of the nature of that custom in America. But officially, the bride and groom are led down the aisle by the priest. And why? Well, once again, we go back to our consistent theology. The couple is being received. Their relationship is being received in the life of the Trinity, as we said earlier, with that triple journey around the tetrapod, that table in the middle of the church wearing their crowns, but also they're entering their relationship into the life of the church. So that's what always happens during a sacrament, especially sacraments that are sacraments of entry, such as baptism and marriage. You enter two things. You enter the life of the Trinity itself. You, know, you enter God's life and you enter the life of the church. So that's why the priest in the Eastern churches is always very much at the center of this, always leading, because he's leading you into both of these worlds. The world beyond, which is also present here through Christ, and the world of the Trinity, the life of the Trinity, and also the life of the church. As the couple processes down, the choir or cantors sing Psalm 127. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. You shall eat of your hands labor. Blessed are you, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the recesses of your house. Your sons like olive shoots around your table. Behold, in this way shall be blessed the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you out of Sion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace upon Israel. In the psalm, you heard the reference, your children's children. 
in the Byzantine marriage ritual, you'll actually hear oftentimes the reference to children and fruitfulness, which again affirms what is the teaching, Catholic teaching, East and West, that marriage is both unitive but also procreative. One of the most important purposes of marriage, of course, is to bring new human beings into the world. So eventually they'll be with God in heaven forever. So there's lots of references in the Byzantine ritual for fruitfulness and children. At this point then, the couple does what would be the equivalent of exchanging a vows. They're up front in front of everybody now in the church. They're by the tetrapod in the middle of the church. And the priest will say to the groom, have you come here freely and without reservation to take the bride here present to be your wife according to the mind of the church? And of course, he'll say, I have. And then the priest will ask the bride, have you come here freely and without reservation to take this bridegroom here present to be your husband according to the mind of the church? And of course, she presumably and hopefully at that point says, I have. (laughs) And that's pretty much officially speaking what would be the vows of the wedding ceremony. The vows that say till death do you part and so on are not technically a part of the Byzantine ritual. They did enter into the ritual much, much later, and they are sometimes used, sometimes not used. And one of the reasons why we don't necessarily have to use those particular vows is because the couple, as I just mentioned, essentially vows at their very beginning. They vow to take each other to marriage. And there's an important clause there in that vow, according to the mind of the church. See, marriage is very different in the mind of the church. Marriage is as God intended it to be when it comes to the mind of the church. Very different than in the secular world, which is why in the Eastern churches, we do have marriage preparation, just as in the Latin Rite Church, a so-called pre-cana program. Then what follows is a litany, and once again, just to show you as an example, in the litany that says, that a chaste life in devoted children may be granted to them. Once again, there's a reference to children. It happens a couple times in the litany. But the litany also says, for a chaste life. Now, sometimes people are puzzled by that. They wonder, well, how can you be married but then be chaste? Well, chastity does not mean simply the absence of sexual intercourse or sexual activity. Chastity means the virtuous, the virtuous living out of our sexuality in whatever that may be. So, for instance, if you are single and not married, chastity to you would mean that you would not engage in sexual activity, particularly sexual intercourse. For a married couple, chastity for them would mean that they relate to each other in all that the church teaches about sexuality between husband and wife, and above all, they are faithful to each other. So chastity is about the virtuous living out of our sexual state, whatever that may be, single or married. Once again, it also says that they may be rewarded with good children and a life above reproach. So once again, a reference, as I mentioned, to children. Following this litany, there is a beautiful prayer by the priest, a lengthy prayer, in which he makes many references to the Old Testament. And all the way back to creation. O God most pure, he prays, author of all creation, you in your love for mankind transform the rib of your forefather Adam into woman and bless them, saying, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Through marriage, you made them two in one flesh. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Those whom God has joined together, let no man put asunder. In your kindness, you blessed your servant Abraham, and granting fruitfulness to Sarah, you made him the father of a multitude of nations. You gave Isaac to Rebekah, 
and bless them with children. You join Jacob and Rachel raising from that union the 12 patriarchs. And then the prayer goes on, making more references to other marriages, especially in the Old Testament. And then eventually it makes reference to the wedding at Cana. Following this prayer, it's a very lengthy, beautiful prayer. If it didn't happen already, there is the bestowal of the rings, the blessing of the rings. And then there can be the insertion of the other marriage vows at this point, but there doesn't have to be. The more important thing that comes up at this point is that crowning, as I mentioned. As we said before, the crowning is designation that this is a new king and queen of creation, the husband and wife, and that they are being crowned as martyrs. Why martyrs? Well, let's face it, for those of you who have been married for any length of time, you realize that the secret to marriage, as it is to all aspects of Christian living, is all about self-martyrdom, dying to self so as to rise to the needs of the other, making it all about the other. And if both are doing that, you have a very mutually supportive relationship. They don't have to worry about their rights and what about me? I'm going to get left out if I make it all about her or all about him. If they move in the direction of each other, it works in a very reciprocal way. They meet the needs of one another. They help each other to meet each other's needs. Then you have a very strong and harmonious, unified relationship. So marriage is all about that dying to self and rising to the other. That's the key. That's the key to Christian love. It's the gift of self, as St. John Paul II was always so fond of teaching about, that, that gift of self. That's the key to everything. It's what gives us meaning in life. The readings during the wedding ceremony come from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 20 to 33, and also the wedding of Cana that we read about in John chapter 2. Christ's first miracle was changing the water into wine. Remember at the wedding of Cana. Interesting that Christ's first miracle occurred at a wedding. That goes to show you what regard God has for the sacrament of marriage. It is the primordial sacrament. Let's face it, it was the first commandment by God was for two people to be married and to be fruitful. He told that to Adam and Eve way back in the Garden of Eden. And so marriage really is a very, very special sacrament. And there is much more that we can say about it, and we'll be talking about that in subsequent programs. But this is just a little introduction into that beautiful mystery of the Byzantine Church known as marriage. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the radio button. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, ByzantineCatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Willcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. <laughs>